We'll get cracking. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. We um, lead this church together. If you're new here or you're visiting, you are very, very welcome. Please do go over to the goodie bag desk at the back, fill out a form. We'll give you a, a bag with all sorts of goodies in it, which is why it's called a goodie bag. And um, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to um, let you know all the things that are going on in and through the, the church. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to carry on the series that we began a couple of weeks ago, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to do one verse this morning. You'll be glad to hear. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The message uh, version of the Bible, the translation of the Bible called the message, uh, puts it like this. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Uh, last week we were looking at the uh, Sermon on the Mount. We were looking at how it is that through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus seems to be swapping the price tags on everything. Jesus, it seems like Jesus is taking the things that the world values, things that we all high, hold in high regard, and it's like he's saying, you know what? That thing, that thing there, it's not really as precious as you might think. It's not really as valuable as you might say. And instead, what Jesus is doing is he's showing us things, he's holding up things that the world generally dismisses, things that the world may be, things that we struggle with. And he says, now that, you see that thing there, that's really valuable in the sight of God. And nowhere is this changing of price tags more evident than in this, in this verse here. Um, you're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. So last week we were blessed when we were at the end of our rope. And uh, this week... You're blessed when you feel like you've lost the very thing that you considered most dear. Awesome. Like, we love the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, great, great. Um, but not straightforward, but let's try and stick with it and see if we can grapple with and wrestle with what it is that Jesus might be saying. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Some of the most profound encounters that I've ever had with God have happened when I've been grieving. They've, been hap they've happened to me when I've been grieving, whether that's been through the death of um, family members, whether that's been through the death of friends, or when that, whether that's been through like the sadness, that sense of sadness, that sense of loss that comes with um, disappointment, uh, comes with a feeling of missed opportunity. There's something about loss. There's something about grief that either 
compels us towards God or um, forces us to kind of run in the opposite direction. And for me, personally, uh, not on every occasion, not on every occasion, but I'd say on the vast, in the vast majority of times when I've been faced with one tragedy, one kind of tragedy or another, um, I've, I've had this experience, um, it's almost like a primal lurch, that I've want, what I've wanted to do is kind of head for the hills. I've wanted to run away. I've wanted to take myself off somewhere else and hide. And most times uh, when I've done that, not always, but most times, as I've withdrawn, um, literally, metaphorically, whatever, as I've withdrawn, I've tried to invite the Holy Spirit to come with me. With me. I've tried to invite the Holy Spirit to withdraw uh, with me in those difficult moments. And time and time and time again, he has. He's done exactly that. The Spirit of God is present in our pain. Jesus himself um, was not shielded from pain. Jesus himself was not um, protected, some force field that kept him from experiencing um, pain. Isaiah describes Jesus like this. Isaiah chapter 53 writing hundreds of years before Jesus came. In Isaiah chapter 53, you'll be, some of you are familiar with this, Jesus is described like this. It says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You recognize the person of Jesus in that, in that scripture. So Jesus, a man of suffering and a man familiar with pain. The life of Jesus was marred in so many ways by the trials and the sorrows of human existence and ultimately expressed through his agonizing death on a cross. Jesus was not unfamiliar with pain. He was not unfamiliar with sorrow. He was not unfamiliar with sadness. And yet, through all of that, through it all, Jesus somehow learned um, the rhythm, if you like, that even in the midst of, of the depth of despair, he was able to draw upon these deep inner wells of, of hope. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, that's not some bland uh, platitude. For Jesus, this is a tried and tested promise that's coming from a man of sorrows, from a man who knew pain, a man who knew suffering, and for someone who was going to know much greater pain, much greater suffering before his time on earth was fulfilled. So last week we were looking at the first, uh, first um, beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of 
of heaven. And what Jesus is basically saying, what the, the essence of that beatitude is that Jesus is blessing openness. He's blessing vulnerability. He's blessing um, us coming to the end of ourselves. He's blessing this uh, poverty of spirit. Uh, What he's saying is, um, when you feel like you've got nothing, when you feel like you've run out of rope, that's the point at which you can be blessed. You know the message translation, when you uh, bless you when you come to the end of your rope, with less of you, there's more room for God. The implication, what he's saying is, is, is um, allow life to affect you. Allow the things of life to impact you, affect you, rather than trying to protect yourselves and shield yourselves from it and keep a distance from it. Because the implication of this kind of openness, this kind of vulnerability that he's encouraging in the first beatitude, um, dare I say, the sort of the weakness, the fragility of it, which we all love so much. Weakness, fragility, awesome, my favorite things. Vulnerability, marvelous. What Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those things that you don't really hold in high regard, vulnerability, weakness, fragility, do you know what? That's actually the key to opening up the eyes of our heart to seeing what God is actually doing in the earth around us, in the world around us. The challenge um, is that once we take on this kind of vulnerability, once we allow ourselves to have this kind of, or feel this kind of, have this openness, um, we very quickly begin to realize that it comes with a price. There's a price tag attached to it. Um, Because being open through the first beatitude to what's going on in the world around us is going to heighten our sense of pain and grief to the things that we're going to start to see. You see, when our hearts are closed, when our minds are closed, when we're closed-minded, when we're closed-hearted, we don't notice very much. We don't, we don't see the suffering and the struggles of the people that we walk past every day. Why would we? Because we've got everything sewn up. I'm on a mission. I'm on, I've got my things to do. I, can't, I haven't got time to see all of this trauma over here. I'm single-minded. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to the point of recognizing that actually, you know, the rope has run out, that we were hanging on to, it's like, ah, there's nowhere else to go. What do I do now? Ah, ah, I have to trust in God, I suppose. When we realize that we don't actually have it all sewn up, um, when we see our own fragility, our own weakness, our own frailty, what happens is we begin to see the weakness and the fragility and the frailty of the people around us. And more than that, we begin to feel their pain. We begin um, to see their suffering for what it really is. We begin to share their shame. And so our openness, our vulnerability, our poverty of spirit in the first beatitude, which opens, is the beginning, is the gateway, the doorway to the kingdom of heaven, slowly but surely evolves into mourning. Mourning both for ourselves and uh, mourning for the world in which we live. And so we find ourselves not only going deeper into the Beatitudes, but we're, we're slowly but surely, as we said at the very, very first week when we started this, we're becoming the very people that Jesus is calling his followers to be. Um, but it is, 
there is no question that this is a, pr a properly hard path. Um, we heard this when James Rogers came the other week. Jesus says it at the end of this Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only few find it. I, yeah, well, it's not easy, of course. But we're not to lose hope because Jesus tells us that it's in these moments. It's, it's when we begin to grieve and mourn what is lost. Jesus is saying, in that moment of mourning and grieving what's lost, God has something for you. God has something for us. And the gift that God gives us in the midst of our grief, the gift that God gives us in the midst of our mourning, is his comfort. Is his comfort. It's in that place of grief, whether um, that grief comes through the death of a loved one, or whether it's grief over a, um, a loss of hope, or whether it's grief, grief over a loss of a, the loss of a dream, or the loss of opportunity, it's in that place of grief and mourning that Jesus offers and promises his comfort. It's when you're at the end of your rope that Jesus says, when you come to the end of yourself, that's when the presence of God is going to come. And here he's saying, when you're grieving, when you're mourning, that's when God's comfort is going to come. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And part of the comfort that Jesus brings, part of the comfort that the, the presence of God brings in that moment, I think is um, gaining God's heart, gaining a sense of God's heart for the world in which we live. Because part of the comfort um, comes as we grieve and mourn with God and we say, this is not the way it's meant to be. This is not how things are supposed to look. The world is not supposed to be like this. This was never, ever part of God's original and divine plan. And so um, as we, I don't know, as we see children being sold for sex, we, we, we say... It's not supposed to be like that. We see the situation and we grieve and we mourn and we say, it's not supposed to be like that. There has to be another way. When we look and uh, we see nations being torn apart through war and violence, we, we grieve that situation, we mourn that situation, and we get God's heart for that situation and we cry out and we say, it's not supposed to be like that. What's going on? This isn't, this isn't the way things are supposed to be. There has to be another way. Uh, as we see poverty and famine and, 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 and the list goes on and on and on. Our hearts break, or at least they're supposed to, if we're in touch with what's going on around us, if we're open-minded and open-hearted, we will see the suffering that's going on around us and it will affect us. It will touch us. And Jesus is saying, that's okay. Allow yourself to be affected by what's going on in the world around you. That's a good place to be. But when our, we see what's going on and our hearts break, because that's what they're supposed to do, as our hearts break, our response is designed to be, it's not supposed to be like this. <laughs> oh, something's wrong. There has to be another way. Uh, there was a, a philosophy and theology professor. His name was um, Nicholas Wolterstorff. Uh, and he wrote a, a, a book of, some years ago um, called Lament for a Son. And he wrote it because his son, when he was still in his early 20s, died um, suddenly in an unbelievably tragic um, climbing incident. And 
Walter Stroh, he, he pours out his heart in this little book. And he says this. He says, mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, who ache with all their being for that day's coming, and who burst into tears when confronted by its absence. Let me say that again. Mourners are those who've caught a glimpse of God's new day. They ache with all their being for that day's coming, and they burst into tears when confronted with its absence. Mourners, in other words, are aching visionaries. When we grieve, um, even when we're grieving the death of a loved one, um, part of what that grief is about is about a yearning for the day that we know is to come, but hasn't come yet. There's that gut-wrenching pain that you experience when someone dies. I absolutely believe that is righteous anger. That grief, that expression, that, that it right in the pit of your stomach. I absolutely, fundamentally believe that is righteous indignation. I think it's something so profound. I think it's something so primal. And I think it's deeply hardwired in every single one of us, a believer or not, um, and it's a spirit crying out at the fundamental injustice of death. That death was never part of the original plan. That grief, that pain we feel in the pit of our stomach is something in us crying out, saying it is not supposed to be like this. It was never supposed to be like this. It's our spirit crying out, literally in rage, because our hearts and our spirits are enraged by the fact that God's perfect creation has been ravaged and devastated by sin, ultimately expressed in death. And along with all of that, there's this longing, there's this yearning that's hardwired, I believe, into every single human heart that says it doesn't have to be like this. It's not supposed to be like this. And the reason that we think that is because we have caught a glimpse of God's new day. We've caught a glimpse of God's new day when whether we know the scripture or not, we know intuitively and instinctively that there is a day coming when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more crying or mourning or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. Mourners are aching visionaries. Okay, so that's the first part of the sermon. Now we're going to the second part. This morning, I want us just to turn our attention slightly to one uh, such visionary um, who, uh, um, when looking at the plight of children in the UK, um, set up a charity called uh, Home for Hope. And this Sunday, right across uh, the United Kingdom, churches are standing together. They're marking uh, what's being called Adoption Sunday. Okay, so today is apparently Adoption Sunday. What's happened, the the connection between these two things is Christians together are mourning the loss of childhood, the childhood that's being experienced by so many. Looking across this nation, this country that we live in, and saying so many of our children, their childhood is being robbed from them 
And their response, the grief and the, the, the sense of sadness that we feel about that is manifesting itself in that it, it, it's not supposed to be like this. This is not the natural order of things. This is not right. This will not happen on my watch. And, um, and so uh, Home for Hope has been set up in response to that. So why don't you watch, hopefully, this short video. Um, apparently, every day, more than uh, 50 children are taken into care in the United Kingdom. And they're removed from uh, chaotic, traumatic, uh, abusive, uh, neglectful, desperate uh, situations. Um, some of them need a home uh, in an emergency. It's a crisis. Some of them need a temporary home until they're able to return to their own families. Some of them uh, need an occasional home. Uh, so that their families can get a break. Um, some of them need a, a new permanent home with a, whole, with a whole new family. And the church, the church across the United Kingdom is in a great position to offer its help to meet this need. Uh, and that's both in terms of finding families who would be willing to foster, finding families who would be willing to adopt, as well as then providing this, this um, excellent community, if you like, of relational support for those families who make that incredible decision to do that. And Home for Good is a charity. Uh, it's kind of set up to, its aims, its objectives are to um, make adoption and fostering a significant part of the life of the church in the United Kingdom going to the church and saying, okay, the church in the United Kingdom, why don't you step up and, and look at this whole subject of fostering 
and adoption. And, and Home for Good, they work together with Care for the Family in the United Kingdom. They work together with CPAS, which is the um, Church's Child Protection Advisory Service. And so that all of these things are done in a proper and safe way. But they're, they're really trying to raise the awareness um, of the great need that there is for foster parents and adoptive parents. And they want to do that by encouraging families to, to think seriously about whether we might be able to offer a foster home or uh, an, an adoptive home for children who are in care. And at the same time, they want to equip the church so that we can be um, best positioned to be a great, supportive, and welcoming um, community. And the thing about this is, it's within our grasp. You know, this is one of those things that isn't um, uh, beyond the realms of possibility to, to resolve. Uh, Home for Good currently has connections with some 15,000 um, churches across the United Kingdom. If one family in every single one of those churches chose to foster or adopt, there would be no children in the United Kingdom without a home. Interesting. Some of you here um, have already become adoptive parents, um, which is incredible. Uh, some of you, um, people, we've got people like David and Wendy Taylor. I don't know if they're here. We can talk about them behind their back. Great. They're not here. They're upstairs. Oh, even better. Shh, don't, you won't tell them. Will you? David and Wendy, how long have, they, how long have your mum and dad been fostering? I mean, we've all seen, I, I think we were praying for them last week. They've just come into the end of a time. So a couple in the church have been fostering for donkey's years. And, you know, it's been part of the life of this church, having those families um, kind of coming in and out, which, is, which has been great. Um, but there might be some of you, other, others of you who are thinking about it. Some of you might... Um, want to consider whether it's something that you might be able to get involved with, just as another, yet another way for the church to be expressing um, and being good news in society, changing our communities as we transform uh, the lives of some of the, this country's most vulnerable children. And I, what we're saying this morning as a church, we want to do whatever it is that we possibly can to support and encourage those of you who are um, thinking about adoption or fostering or have already done so or uh, would like to find out more about it, um, as you either have either taken this incredible step or are thinking about it. We want to work more closely uh, with Home for Good. We want to work more closely with Wandsworth and Southwest London uh, adoption and fostering departments just to see how we can get involved. There are people that we know who are beginning the whole process of adoption who are part of the church here, which is just fantastic. And what can we be doing as we grow and learn in this uh, area as a, a church? Because certainly not with that as challenges, you know, um, from anyone's perspective. But that doesn't mean to say that we can't together work towards making this the best that we possibly can. Um, and there's, you've got that whole situation, and then that's all against the backdrop at the moment um, as we face one of the most significant humanitarian crises of our time as the refugee situation continues. And one of the questions that we need to continually be asking as we, as the church, as Christians, we mourn and we grieve, what we see happening right in front of us is how will we as a church respond? How will we continue to respond? You know, so um, we have a situation whereby there's, a, there's an immediate crisis 
and everyone's raised money, £4,800, which has gone to the Tier Fund Emergency Relief Fund. Fantastic. Wonderful. And we've also collected winter clothing for uh, Syria and Iraq through Samara's uh, winter aid appeal, which is fantastic. And that's now, you're going to raise money to stick that on a lorry and get that sent off. That's fantastic. But how, as the church, do we continue to make sure that we're standing in and through that crisis until that crisis is no longer there? You know, how do we keep this in front of us? Okay? Uh, this is another way that we might want to think about it. Why don't you watch this slightly longer video? How many refugees in the Bible can you name? How about Adam, Eve, Cain, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Lot, Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, in fact, all the tribes of Israel, Moses, Naomi, Ruth, David, Elijah, Esther, Mordecai, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, in the New Testament, Mary, Joseph, Philip, Peter, Aquila, and Priscilla, and indeed the whole of the early church. Whether displaced by natural disaster, exploitation, people trafficking, war, famine or persecution, the Bible is full of refugees. The central character in scripture himself, Jesus, fled as a refugee to Egypt as a young child. But I've missed someone out. According to the book of Ephesians, you and I were once refugees. We were strangers to God's promises, wandering exiles, excluded from citizenships with God's people. That is until Jesus welcomed us in. It was a costly welcome, but through his death we were granted not just asylum, but a permanent home in the family of God. Christians know what it means to be welcomed as refugees, and therefore it's not surprising that my Facebook feed is full of Christians asking what we can do in light of the plight of the world's 60 million displaced people. As Christians who are called to give refuge to the refugees, we won't sit idly by while 71 people die together by the side of an Austrian motorway in the back of a refrigerated lorry. Or while 2,600 people perish this year alone trying to cross the Mediterranean. And we're going to stand in solidarity with Ireland Curdie's father, who whilst trying to rescue his family from the threat of death from ISIS in Syria, lost them needlessly on a short crossing to Greece. So what are we going to do? I know many of you have petitioned the government, tweeted at opportune moments and given blankets. But a crisis of this scale needs a response that will show the world that Christians care above and beyond. That we're not just a, a knee-jerk reaction, but we're in it for the long term. I'd like to suggest five practical things we can do that will actually make a difference. Number one, we can all pray. We believe in a God who can change governments and change circumstances. Let's call his power to intervene into this circumstance. Number two, some of us have rental properties that we can make available to the local council for the housing of refugees. Click on the link that takes you to the work of Citizens UK and the excellent work they're already doing around the country. Number three, could your family think about becoming foster carers to help the increased number of unaccompanied minors, children fleeing from crisis who don't have family with them that need a loving and supporting ongoing family. 
click on the link to see how Home for Good can help you to do that. Number four, we need to make plans already as churches for when the refugees begin to arrive, we need to find a way to help them integrate so they don't feel isolated or abandoned, but they get the wraparound support that they're gonna need. Number five, please give. Give to the work of Open Doors. They've already got an emergency appeal. They've got a long track record of working uh, with persecuted Christians and they've got people on the ground in Syria. Maybe with Open Doors help, less people will have to leave Syria and make this terrible, perilous journey to the West. Whatever you do, do something. We can't sit idly by while this tragedy unfolds around us. But together, we really can make a difference, a long-term difference. May God bless you in what you do. Okay, so... Just that's Chris uh, Kandaya there. He's um, he's uh, London School of Theology, isn't he? What is he? Um, president, president of London School of Theology, and he's also the chap who I think founded um, Home for Good. So just five things there, just for us to bear in mind. Um, pray. Are do we are we continually praying for this uh, situation? The second thing, connect and share resources. Uh, some of you may have. Rental properties was his suggestion, but other, certainly other resources that is something that Lord Spirit, God may be encouraging you to make available um, to refugees. Fostering, that's what we're really focusing on here this morning. Some of you um, might consider, just the Spirit of God may be speaking to you about considering fostering unaccompanied um, children. And if, uh, if, you're, if you're interested in finding out more about, not committing yourself, but finding out more about adoption or fostering, there's a whole series of events uh, that are going to be coming up. Um, Home for Good are running a series of events in the local area over the next couple of months which are sort of open evenings for anyone considering uh, finding out about how to foster unaccompanied uh, children and unaccompanied minors uh, as a result of the refugee crisis. But there are also a whole series of events that are going on for anyone who's interested in um, fostering or adoption uh, generally. David and Wendy have very kindly said that they would help uh, sort of lead the charge on that, um, and so we'll be putting information out on the city uh, in the next uh, few days. Uh, welcome is another thing that Chris was saying. As a church, so many of you are involved in so many incredible compassion ministries like um, Food Bank and Job Club and uh, counseling, um, uh, collecting clothes for distribution in the Middle East, and so on. But what are some of the other things that we might think of? You know, don't wait for us to come up with ideas. Do you see? You know, the Spirit of God speaks to us all. Everyone gets to play it. I mean, the Lord may well speak to you about an area of ministry that just isn't happening in the church. Come and talk to Kate and I. Come and talk to us about what it is you feel like the Lord's saying, because we would love to see uh, some more of those um, different kinds of areas of ministry uh, starting up. And then lastly, he talks about giving your money, giving uh, your resources. So since September, we've been giving to the Tear Fund Emergency Crisis um, Appeal. But what other resources uh, is the Lord asking you to make available um, to those who need them. So over the next few weeks, uh, we'll be posting some of this information on the city, uh, just as some of these things that you might want to think about and get involved in, um, as well as other ways that we as a church can respond and just continue to respond to the refugee crisis. So okay? Nod politely. All right. Why don't you stand? <laughs> 